Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. continues our collection of talks thus far. In this message, I get to give, sharing the power of gratitude and generosity. If you need faith for tomorrow, start by thanking God for His grace today. Once a year, we come around our bricklayers offering a special above and beyond act of faith to accelerate the vision we believe God has given us for 2023. To learn how you can be a part, check out voochurch.com slash vision. Now let's lean into the message together. And today I, I wanna read um, maybe a peculiar passage out of the Old Testament and I wanna make some relevant applications to your life as we are coming towards the end of the year, as it's Thanksgiving Sunday, as we're in our vision collection. Let's look at Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 17. And there are some names here that I'm gonna royally mess up, but you are gonna be gracious and kind and loving uh, because I don't know how to speak some of these names, but this is what it says, starting in verse 17. After his, his here is Abraham, after Abraham's return from the defeat of Shedolamer, we're just gonna call him Shed, okay? One time, everyone say, what's up, Shed? Perfect, let's just do that, it'll be easier. The defeat of Shed and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. Watch this. And he blessed Abraham and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Uh, I wanna preach today as we are in our collection more of, more of a vision phrase that the Lord gave us, which I'll talk about. Uh, we're in this collection called Thus Far, really our marching orders as we step into our eighth year. And I wanna preach a message today to our church entitled, I Get to Give. I Get to Give. And what a powerful revelation when you receive that from the Lord, that I get to give. Giving is a privilege. It was Jesus who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. We need to consider those words and take them to heart. Uh, last week, as I mentioned, was Vision Sunday. It's always a, a powerful Sunday around here because I get to articulate some of the things that's stirring in our hearts for our house. And every year I always ask the Lord to give me a phrase, to give me a word for our church. Uh, last year, it was uh, till, uh, help me out with last year's, <laughs> for the sake of eternity. I keep wanting to say till kingdom come. I'm like, that's not what it was. Uh, for the sake of eternity, and, and the reality of what we were talking about all last year is all these things that we are doing in the temporary have an eternal ramification for it. But it begins for me really in the summer. And this year I was asking God, going, Lord, what is it you want me to share to the church? And he led me to a passage of scripture, 1 Samuel chapter seven. And the scripture is where Samuel he takes a rock and he puts it in the ground and he declares out loud to the people, thus far, the Lord has helped us. 
And the context of the passage is important because the context is, is it's in that place that he's marking the place that God did a miracle. The miracle was that he defeated the enemies of the Israelites and the Lord came back to Israel. And so Samuel knew what I know and what hopefully you know is, is that if you forget what God has done, it will destroy your faith. So Samuel said, let me put this this rock, let me put this stone, it's a memorial stone, and it's to remind the people that every time they pass this place, right here on this ground is where God made a miracle happen. And so when we talk about thus far, it's like, how is that vision? How is that about the future? It's about the future because if you're having a hard time finding faith for the future, all you need to do is go and look back on the past and see what God has done. That you would look back and say, wow, God has moved in my life. And I think Samuel understood something that I'm learning more and more as I get older. And it's simply this, is that the further we get from the miracle, the more likely we are to forget the miracle. And so what I'm saying is, is that All of us in this room, if you are breathing right now, at one point or another, the Lord has helped you. Question is, have you forgotten? Because if you forget his help, you will not have faith for the future. So as we step into our eighth year as a church, if we're gonna step forward in faith, the scripture says it's impossible to please God without faith. The only way that we're gonna get faith is by looking back on the past and realizing, wow, God has been faithful. I don't wanna forget what he's done. I think each and every one of us, we, we, we need practices. We need systems that remind us of God's faithfulness. This past week was, was Thanksgiving, what an incredible holiday that our nation has that once a year we stop and the whole point and purpose of the holiday is that you would express gratitude. It's amazing because gratitude is one of these things that can change your entire mood. Uh, psychologists will tell us that if you're having a hard time with depression or anxiety, before you take medication, before you go to a therapist, just practice gratitude. Write down some things you're grateful for and watch as you start thinking about what you're grateful for, how you start to get joyful. And as you get joyful, you get strong. And I love Thanksgiving because it's a time that we get to you know, eat and have food, but it's also a time to express gratitude. We had some friends in town that were from London. So it was their very first Thanksgiving. And they sat with us at the table and You know, I hope somewhere at your lunch or at your dinner, you guys stopped and you paused and you didn't just eat mashed potatoes and you didn't just eat turkey. Hopefully somewhere, someone stopped and you took the time to express thanks. Why? Because what will happen every single time, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, is that when you start to express gratitude, it all of a sudden starts to conjure up a hopeful outcome. Now, if you're in Jesus and you start to express gratitude, what starts to be stirred up is it changes the atmosphere. And what happens to the atmosphere? All of a sudden, it's an atmosphere full of faith. What I know is this, is that if you need faith for tomorrow, start by thanking God for his grace today. It's really, really simple. If you're having a hard time finding faith for the future, start by thanking God for his grace right now Today, This is why each and every one of us, when God does something in our life, 
we shouldn't stop testifying about it. We shouldn't stop celebrating it. You ever met people that's like, oh, I don't wanna share my testimony. I share it so many times. No, testimonies don't get old. People get old, but when you share what God's done in your life, it continues to produce faith for where you're going. So I don't know what miracle God's done, but the further you get away from it, you tend to forget it. And when you forget it, your faith is destroyed. And at Vu Church, we don't wanna get too far away from God's miracles. If you've been around this house, you've heard my wife and I share a whole lot of times about our journey of infertility, eight years trying to have kids. And sometimes when my wife and I are ministering, we're like, should we share that story again? I don't know if we should keep talking about that. People probably heard that so many different times. But I'm reminded that I'm not just sharing the testimony of us having kids for you. I'm sharing the testimony of having kids for me. Give me this. Sorry, this thing's popping all over the place. Here we go. Awesome. Oh, no. Here we go. I'm sharing that story for for me. It it, it matters to me because we went eight years of not being able to have kids, but finally after eight years of waiting, God didn't just meet our need. He superseded our need. He gave us three kids that are in our house today. And I don't want to get, I don't want to get too familiar with that. And I certainly don't want to forget that. And I want to make sure that I'm doing whatever I can to talk about it, to share it, to thank God for it. Because as I get grateful and as I talk about it, faith is produced in my life. I I want to stay vulnerable. I want to stay emotional about it. I I think I still am um, because I I see it sometimes in my life. Uh, The other day I was watching this movie, The Parent Trap, with my kids. And um, I'm watching with my little boys. It's so funny. I don't know if you know the story of The Parent Trap, but it's the two twin girls that we're separated at birth and one goes to be with the mom and one goes to be with the dad because they get divorced and then they go to summer camp and then just coincidentally, I call it God's providence, um, they meet up at summer camp like, oh my goodness, we look alike, oh my goodness, oh, and they, they end up becoming best friends and then they come up with this crazy idea, let's go, let's switch, you go back to the dad that you never knew, I'll go back to the mom that I never knew and let's try to get them back together. And the whole film, if we're really being honest, is like just supposed to be cute and like funny, not for me, bro. That thing is emotional, yo. Like, like, I think you're supposed to laugh, but man, when the dad all of a sudden realizes, that's my daughter who I've never known, and when they embrace, I wept. I didn't, we, I, I wailed, you know? As they embrace, I, I started giving worship to God. Every father needs to know his daughter, and every daughter needs to know her father, and every little girl needs a mom, and oh my God, I'm thankful! want to get too used to the miracle. I don't want to get familiar with it. I don't want to get too far away from it that it seems like something distant in the past. For my kids, when I look at them, they are walking, talking memorial stones. They are Ebenezer's in my house every day going, I remember the day when we just wanted to have kids. Now we got three. Thank you, Jesus. You are the God who does exceedingly, immeasurably, more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine. You don't just give us enough. You give us more than enough. I'm just telling you, this is a very, very important principle that as we're going, that gratitude, if we want faith for the future, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about vision. If we're going to step into the future, we need to be people of gratitude because gratitude produces faith. It's like I've been pastoring now for 15 years and I'm going to just be honest with you it's just my experience can't say there's not other experiences but my experience I have never counseled a couple who's on the verge of getting divorced 
who in the counseling meeting is just telling me how grateful they are for the other person. You have no idea, Pastor Rich. This man, I'm so grateful for him. But this marriage is not gonna make it. It doesn't happen. See, a lot of people think that, that, that lust is the problem in their marriage. No, 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 no. The first step to cheating is not lust. It's a lack of gratitude. It's a, it's a lack, I stopped being thankful for that person. I just challenge some of us, even in this room, in the spirit of Thanksgiving Sunday, rather than just talk and complain about everything that's wrong about your spouse, why not before you go to bring that complaint, why don't you just start to list out some of the things that are right with your spouse? I'm not saying it will solve everything, but it will certainly change your perspective around what is missing. I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful. God, I wanna be thankful. And even in this house, man, it's not that we have everything, but man, for the some things that we do have, let's give God praise. Let's thank him every single day. You might not have everything you want, but anyone thankful today? You got a roof over your head. You got clothes on your back. You got shoes on your feet. You got some food in your belly. I might not have everything, but I am aware of the something that I do have. I didn't create it. I didn't make it. He gave it to me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's amazing because some people think this is a cliche, but I think this is a conviction. I think you have to systemize this practice. This is what Samuel was doing. He was like, God just delivered us, but y'all people gonna forget about this. And you're gonna find yourself out in your future and you're gonna be afraid and you're gonna be scared and you're gonna turn to the ways of the world, but I want you to look back at this stone and let it be a reminder that God delivered you. You didn't deliver yourself, you didn't save yourself, you can't protect yourself, you can't help yourself. The Lord has helped all of us, the question is, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? I think as a church and as a community, we need to do whatever we possibly can to set practices in motion so that we don't forget. If I want faith for the future, I have to start with gratitude of today. And today I wanna to talk about something that we don't teach a lot on Sundays here, but it's something that's changed my life since I was a teenager that I wanna to try to be as bold as I possibly can because we're coming up on this year-end offering. And I'm excited about the year-end offering. People give generously and radically. But really, this entire season is not just about giving a one-time offering, but rather it's to try to help people get a new revelation of the power of generosity. Rather than you just giving one gift and then never giving again, I would rather you take on the new mindset and gain some biblical perspective around the principle of tithing. Because I think tithing many times in church gets a bad rap because it's been taught wrong. For me, tithing, which we see all throughout the Bible, and we're gonna look at one area today, is God's principle and God's plan to help create faith in your life, that you would exercise faith weekly, daily, and remember what he's done in your life. I wrote it down this way this week, tithing, is birthed out of a heart of gratitude for yesterday, but flourishes into an act of faith for tomorrow. This is what we're gonna look at today. Our text comes from Genesis chapter 14. It's the story of Abraham as he brings a tithe. It's one of the earliest pictures we have in the Bible of this practice called tithing, but it's not the first. In fact, it's not even the oldest. I actually think that tithing shows up in the Garden of Eden. And I'll explain myself, but I think tithing is 
before the Mosaic law, in the Mosaic law, and post the Mosaic law. I think it's a timeless principle of God's creation account that he wants to bring forth blessing in your life, but he's looking for you to learn how to trust him. And it's about setting a reminder about who I'm thankful for and who is the source of my life. Genesis 14 really, once again, can't start to be taught until you get a little bit more context. We have to go two chapters back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we see God encounter Abraham. And Abraham is 75 years of age. Just think about that for a moment. And at 75 years of age, God shows up and makes a massive promise to him. He says to Abraham, he says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. If you know anything about the Bible or if you know the story of Christianity, Abraham is the father of our faith. It's from his seed that the entire Jewish race uh, God's chosen people uh, come from Abraham, but then thank God for Jesus, somebody. According to Romans chapter nine, we Gentiles, anyone who's not Jewish, are grafted into the family of God because of the sacrifice of what Jesus did on that cross. Can we just take a moment and just say thank you again to Jesus? But with the promise of God to Abraham, side note, anyone here today, God is no respecter of your age whether you're 15, 35, 45, 65, 85, 95, if you're breathing, God still has a plan for your life. If you got a pulse, come on somebody, you got a purpose. He comes and finds Abraham at 75 years of age and says, yo Abraham, um, I'm, 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 I got this huge promise for you, but then you're gonna see what it requires. It requires faith. Because our future in God always requires faith. Everything we're talking about, building, reaching people in Miami, it requires us to step into faith. It, we, we have to be faithful people. How is this marked by faith? Well, there's two things. I mean, number one, um, Abraham, he doesn't even have like a son, let alone, you know, many sons. Do you ever see that movie, Wayne's World? <laughs> like there's that part. I don't know if you ever saw, I like that movie. Like she gets him a gun rack and he's like, uh, thanks for the gun rack. I don't even own a gun, let alone many guns that would need a gun rack. Um, this is the Wayne's World moment. Uh, God, I'm a nation. I don't even have a son, let alone many sons to have a nation. So it's this, it's this fate, it's this big, bold promise. Like I'm gonna be a nation, but I don't have any kids. And I'm 75, okay. Um, but number two is, Abraham, you have to leave your home and you have to set out into the land that I will show you. Many times faith is an action step. It's stepping out of my comfort zone and stepping into my calling. Everything about your calling is on the other side of your comfort zone. And the scripture says in Genesis chapter 12 that Abraham, he sets out into this land that God's gonna show him and with him, he takes his livestock, he takes his servants, he takes his wife, Sarah, and he takes his nephew, Lot. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 13, what you'll discover is that in Genesis 13 is that Lot, that's his nephew, the younger man, his servants are quarreling with Abraham's servants. And as they're quarreling, Abraham, this man of humility, comes to Lot and says, hey Lot, uh, I think we should go separate ways so that you and I don't have any division in our relationship. I just love the humility of Abraham. Watch what he does. He says, hey Lot, look out across the land and you pick any land that you want. And whatever land you pick, I'll choose the opposite. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And the scripture says, this is so good, Genesis 13, that Lot looks out and he sees this land. It's called Sodom and Gomorrah. 
if you know your Bible. And the scripture says that it looked pleasing to his eyes because it reminded him of Egypt. I call it Egypt eyes. Egypt eyes, that I'm looking through the lens of my flesh. I'm looking through the lens of the world. Egypt was a pagan nation. It might look good on the outside, but it's corrupt on the inside. What does 1 John say? 1 John chapter two says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Watch this. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So Lot, he's like, oh, I get to choose? Cool, I'm going to choose not by consulting God. I'm gonna choose not by my convictions, but rather I'm just gonna look with my eyes and the first thing that I see is a place that reminds me of Egypt and Egypt was full of money, Egypt was powerful. The only problem with Egypt is that it was godless. And we need to all make sure as people of God that we don't look out at opportunities with Egypt eyes. I I, I know he's handsome, sister, but he don't love God. Egypt eyes. I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know you want that job, but you already know that that job crosses over all of your convictions. It's not the ethical choice. It's called Egypt eyes. You know what God's called you to do, but you don't want to obey. You want to keep following your ways. It's called Egypt eyes. That's where Lot's at. He's like, I'll take that one. I love Abraham because this doesn't get taught nearly enough. And I want to put some confidence in some people today. Abraham's like, cool. You pick that one, I'll go over there. Why? Because Abraham has a firm conviction that we all need to get. He understands the blessing is not on the place. The blessing is on a person. So Lot... You go live in the land of the flesh. Uh, I'm gonna go live in the land of faith. Lot goes and pitches his tent next to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a wicked pagan place. Read further into the Bible, you're gonna see what happens there. And Abraham pitches his tent next to some trees. But it did not matter that the place itself wasn't beautiful, the person was beautiful because God blesses people. It's like Abraham already knew the scripture that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. I'm trusting you, God. I stepped out of here in obedience. I'm not gonna choose wrong. I'm gonna follow you and you're going to lead me. I gotta be honest with you, in my entire life, my, my wife and I, this, is, this sounds, if you're not hearing it the right way, almost arrogant, but I'm telling you, God's blessing has been on our lives. Since we were teenagers, the providence of God, the leading of God, I've seen God's blessing every place that I've pitched a tent. When we started doing ministry in Miami Gardens, two white kids up in Miami Gardens, I'm telling you what, the blessing of God showed up. 1,200 people started coming to church every Tuesday night. But I've seen his blessing work in Wynwood. I saw it work in Little Haiti. I've seen it work in the design district. It, it seems to be working here in South Miami. It even works online because it's not a place. It's a person. And when the blessing gets on a person, it's amazing because people that get around it and get under it, they start getting blessed as well. Lot was blessed in his life, not because the blessing was on him, but because it was on Abraham. So much so that we get to Genesis chapter 14. 
So, so Lot has just been blessed. He's wealthy, he's becoming wealthy, not because he's done something right, but just because he's attached to Abraham. And so he looks out with Egypt eyes, like, I want that. And Abraham's like, no, 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 no I'm gonna, I'll just, you, you choose, you choose. I'm, it's good, you choose, I'll, I'll go wherever. And wherever I go, God goes with me. And the scripture says in Genesis 14, this is where we see it, that he's gonna need the blessing of Abraham. Lot living in Sodom and Gomorrah, there is this king, his name's King Shed. Now we're back in the text. And King Shed, uh, he's got all these kind of city-state kings. And while he's away at war, um, what takes place is, is that five of these other city-states rebel against him. The king of Sodom and Gomorrah was one of them. And finally, when Shed comes back from battle, he's not happy with what's taking place under his rule and reign. And so he comes in and he sacks the cities. One of the cities that he sacks is Sodom and Gomorrah. And he takes all of their spoils and he takes captive Lot and his family. Now, Abraham, the, my entire life growing up is like, I don't know, I have this picture like this. I, I picture like Gandalf the Grey, you know, like, <laughs> you shall not pass, you know? But no one when I was in Sunday school class ever told me the story of savage Abraham. Because my man hears that his nephew Lot has been kidnapped he goes and he rounds up his 318 servants. And he says, not on my watch. My man, Abraham, 75 years of age, rides in to King Shed, defeats all of those soldiers and brings back Lot. I mean, this dude is like, yo, Abraham, don't mess with Abraham, yo. We, we all know Father Abraham, but this man will cut you, okay? <laughs> and what's amazing, this is what happens. Abraham goes and has this incredible battle. And the scripture says that two kings come out to meet him. Maybe you never heard the scripture before, but I want you to see this. Two kings come out to meet him. The first king is the king of Sodom, and then the other king is the king of Salem. And what happens is the king of Sodom, he's a little bit like perturbed that, you know, that he's been ruined, that he's been sacked. And so he comes up to Abraham. He's like, hey, listen, I just want the people back, but because, you know, what you did, you know, you can keep all the money. He's kind of trying to pay him off. I want you to see what, what, what Abraham says back to him. This is very good. Genesis chapter 14, verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, watch this, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I want you to catch this. Abram's like, nah. I already told God that after I get this victory and after I get this battle, that I'm not taking one thing from you because I don't want you to have the power to tell the world that you made me rich. By the way, the scripture already says that Abraham's a wealthy man at this point, but when he's saying this, it's like he's declaring and prophesying, I know I'm gonna be rich, but I just wanna make sure that the knowledge of where my riches came from that you are not the source of my victory. You are not the source of my wealth. So no, I'm not taking nothing from you. I felt it in my spirit this week, even for so many in this church, because there's so many young entrepreneurs that started in this community with us. And I just felt a boldness on the inside of me that God is going to make some of you rich. God is gonna bless some of your businesses. God is gonna defeat some battles for you. 
but he wants you to know just like Abraham that when it's all said and done it was not your intellect it was not your strategy it wasn't your business partner it wasn't your business plan it wasn't your ideas he made you rich he fought your battles what you will learn about God is he really cares who gets the credit. And he wants to make sure that each and every one of us, that our gratitude goes to one, not the stock market, not the tech companies. Our gratitude is lifted up into one. I, I'm gonna be rich. Just when I get there, uh, there's only one who's gonna get the glory. There's only one who's gonna get the glory. I want you to see this. Here we go. So he's like, nah, you can have the people back and I'm not taking none of your stuff. I'm just gonna make sure the men that, that, that were with me, that they're taking care of, but I, I don't want none of your stuff. But then there's a second king. Everyone say a second king. The second king is, is uh, this man by the name of Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem. Now, Melchizedek is a very, very interesting person in the scriptures. He's mentioned three different times in the Bible. The first time we see him is right here in Genesis 14. He shows up again in Psalm 110. And then we hear the most about him in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter seven. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. I, I sort of landed, it sounds like Paul to me. I'm gonna say it's Paul today. I just, that's who it seems like to me. And there's an entire chapter dedicated to this guy named Melchizedek. Melchizedek is, is significant to really all Christians who, who know God's word because of how many times he shows up in the Bible, where he shows up in the Bible. But he's uniquely significant to many because some even think that Melchizedek is what we call a Christophany. And uh, a Christophany, uh, by definition, is an appearance of Christ before his birth or after his resurrection and ascension. Meaning that we believe that Jesus, once again, if you're new to church, you're like, wow, this guy's, we believe that Jesus is God. So, so God is not constrained to time. Uh, the scripture says that the Lamb of God who was slain since the foundations of the earth. Meaning Jesus exists outside of time. We know that he was born incarnate, uh, through Mother Mary, but I believe that he shows up even in the Old Testament. I'm not sure if this is a Christophany. I would definitely land on, without a shadow of a doubt, that he's a type of Christ. That, that's good language as you start to study your Bible more, that you see types. All throughout the Old Testament, there's these figures. I like to call them like outlines, traces of a Messiah to come. Uh, someone who looks like Jesus, someone who offers grace, someone who gives mercy. Could show you lots of portions of scripture. Joseph, I mean, one of the first types of Christ. Remember, he's, he's thrown into a pit. He ends up in the palace. And finally, when his day of retribution comes, he does not curse his brothers. Instead, he offers forgiveness. He, he sits where? At the right hand of the king. Come on, this is a type of Christ. Melchizedek, many believe that he might be a Christophany, that this might be Jesus himself. It's amazing because we were just in Israel and being in Israel was phenomenal. But um, one day we were in the ancient city of, of David. Uh, it's below the city of Jerusalem right there. And um, our tour guide, who's just the best, he knows a lot of the archaeologists there. And he said, Rich, uh, recently they just uncovered what they believe is Melchizedek, the priest. They believe they found the place where he made his sacrifices. He's like, Would you, you want to you break into this area with me? He didn't really say break in, but it felt like we were breaking. And I was like, yeah, let, let's see it. And so he, he, took, he took Don Tree and I, we snuck in. We got away from the group for a second. I think we got some B-roll of it somewhere over here. And um, we were, yeah, this is so cool. We were down in this area. This isn't even open to the public yet. And so I start pulling my camera out. Like I'm a, you know, yeah, let me catch this. And he starts showing us this area that they believe was the place that Melchizedek actually started to offer the first sacrifices that we have unto the one true God. 
And you would say, Rich, why do people believe that Melchizedek is, is a Christophany? Well, th- th- there's, there's lots of reasons for it. I mean, we could just start talking about this. Melchizedek, by definition, means king of righteousness. Who is the king of righteousness? Jesus. These aren't trick questions, okay? It's just Sunday school class. You, say, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a kid, just raise your hand. What's, what's the answer? Jesus. You know, like, he's the king of righteousness. Uh, being the king of righteousness, uh, what we know is that he's the king of, of Salem. Salem, by definition, is shalom. It's fullness. It's complete. It's, it's a place of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. It's funny, in that whole battle with King Shed, there's only one city that doesn't participate. It's Salem, the, the place of peace. Salem, what we know is that Salem becomes Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place that Solomon built the temple of God. It's the place that Jesus died on a cross. And what was written above his head? Jesus, king of the Jews. It was the place of his coronation, Jerusalem, the place of peace, the prince of peace, Melchizedek, king of righteousness. There's so many things we could go into. As you go into Hebrews, the writer in Hebrews makes it very, very clear that Melchizedek has no mother or father, there's no genealogy. Doesn't sound like a big deal to us, but yo, there's an entire book of the Bible called First Chronicles dedicated towards genealogies. Especially if you're a priest. If you're a priest, then you would know the lineage. But the idea that Hebrews makes is that Melchizedek is the priest whose priesthood continues forever, just like Jesus. But one of the biggest things about Melchizedek is he is what we call a priest king. He's not just a king, he's a priest. And how many y'all know Jesus isn't just a priest? He's a king. So many believe that this is a Christophany or at very least a type of Christ. And look what happens. As Melchizedek comes out, Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Let's look at our scripture now. This is what it says. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. For he was priest and God most high. Bread and wine, bread and wine. Just a little Bible study today. Bread and wine. This is a picture of the Last Supper. This is a picture of communion. Why? Not a trick question. Why do we do communion? To remember. Because if we forget, we get away from the miracle. And the further I get from the miracle, the more my faith suffers and my faith is destroyed. So Jesus says, no, no, I'm gonna set up a memorial stone in Ebenezer, it's called communion, the supper. It's the bread represents my body. How is bread? Bread's kneaded together. It's broken, it's it's mashed. Jesus was broken so you could be made whole. Wine, that represents my blood. How do you get wine? You have to crush grapes. Jesus, he was crushed. It's by his stripes that we are healed. In Genesis 14, you have the first glimpse of the Lord's Supper, and it's brought out as an offering to bring aid and to bring healing to Abraham as he got back from a victory. Come on, somebody. I feel like I'm preaching to someone. I know it's a little Bible study, but it's going to help some people. So we have this picture of communion because this Melchizedek is, is a type of Christ and it continues and it says this, it says, and Melchizedek blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. What's he saying? He's saying the same thing that Samuel said. He's saying, uh, God is the one who delivered you. God is the one who has helped you. You have been delivered by the Lord. You have been blessed by God. Look what the scripture says. Verse 20. What is the response of Abram? And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is a picture of the word tithe. Tithe is a biblical word. Tithe means a tenth. It just means a tenth. 
Now, all throughout the scripture, you're going to see this principle show up again and again and again that Abram's reasonable response to the blessing of Melchizedek, to the deliverance of the Lord, was to say, man, gratitude is hitting my heart. And now with gratitude, there is a response and the response is to be generous. Why is that? Because gratitude is the intake, generosity is the output. This is 400 years before the Mosaic law is introduced. There's no law. No one's making him do it. It's not a legalistic act. It's an act of love, of gratitude. Oh, wow, I realized that me at 75 years of age with 318 men, the only reason I was able to get back Lot was because of his providence, because of his mercy, because of his strength. And so I just wanted to say thank you by giving you a tenth of everything that I have. It's called a tithe. And many of us in this room, we've never been taught this principle. And because we've never been taught this principle, we don't step into the future that God has planned for us. It's not because he's cursing you. It's because you won't receive his blessing. It's important. It's important. It's important. So if we're going to talk about a tithe, we got to just talk about what that means. A tithe, um, it's it's the first tenth. This is something that you got to get into your heart. Like, like I got $10 bills. The tithe is not, um, all right, I got my 10 bucks. Here we go. Uh, all right, this, I want to go to uh, Starbucks. Hey. Um, okay, let me think, let me think, let me think. Like, wow, 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 wow. Thanksgiving, I need a new outfit. New outfit, Thanksgiving out, Thanksgiving fit. Um, oh my goodness. All right, all right, Don Shree's, she wants to go on a date. She likes, okay, well, all right, date night. Bingo. Um, all right, wait, wait, I gotta get the gym membership. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, oh, I need, I gotta make sure I've got 19 streaming services that I don't use, all right? Shots fired. Um, <laughs> oh man, I need to upgrade my car. We need another freaking vacation. And uh, what else, what else? We should do an upgrade to the house. And uh, I feel like the dogs aren't eating vegan. Let's make sure that they are. Oh my goodness, look at God's blessed me. Um, and this is for God. That's not a tithe. This is no judgment. I'm just, I want to teach properly. That's not a tithe. That's called a tip. Just, it's a tip. A tithe is the first tenth. It, it's, 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 it's gratitude for yesterday, but it's a faith exercise of, of tomorrow. It, it, it goes first. You don't try to make sense or try to bring logic to the tithe because it's illogical. It, it's faith. And you can't bring logic to it. And some of us, we just kind of scatter our giving. But I'm telling you what, scattered giving brings scattered results. I, I, I don't want to be lucky. I, I want to be blessed. And I've just learned in my life, I wish I had more time today, that I'm better off trusting God on 90% than I am trusting myself on 100%. And what Abraham is modeling to a type of Christ, to a type of Jesus, he recognized without a sermon, without a lesson, I just found deliverance. I was just blessed by Jesus himself. And so my reasonable response is, I wanna give back to you because gratitude's hit my life. Now generosity is the output. Notice as he gives it, it's really important. 
Because he's saying, I don't want to scatter this. I want to be really specific and really clear about who blessed me. It's not the environment that blessed me. It's not the stars that I'm giving thanks to. I'm not giving thanks to the air. I'm not giving thanks to the vibes. I'm not giving thanks to the energy around me, the aura around me. I'm not just giving thanks to all people. I'm being really specific. I'm giving my tithe, my first tenth to one. His name is Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And I trust you. 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 It's his reasonable response. And it's a practice in our life to build faith because that's in your future. You could teach lots of things about it, but Hebrews 7, you have to hear a little bit of it because otherwise you're like, you're just taking one story about this dude and you gave me two verses. There's an entire chapter, Hebrews 7, and it's beautiful, beautiful as it begins to show us the power of Melchizedek because you say, well, what are the results of my tithing? We could be here all day, but Hebrews 7 shows a few. Hebrews 7, verse 4, watch this. See how great this man was, Melchizedek, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That is from their brothers, though these also are descendants from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descendants from them, meaning Melchizedek doesn't come from Abraham. He's not a part of the Levi tribe that was the priestly tribe that received the tithes and offerings. He doesn't come from them. But this man received the tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute. This is not rich. This is the Bible. Beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. The result of tithing, because no one ever taught you this, baby, is that when I tithe, I am proclaiming. The result is Christ's superiority in my life. Just, this scripture is saying that Melchizedek is superior to Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith. We don't have any songs in Sunday school like, Priest Melchizedek had no sons, had no sons, had Melchizedek. We don't have that. You don't get much love. But this man, Abraham, said, no, 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 no. I recognize who you are, the priest king, the king of righteousness, the prince of shalom. I'm thankful. Thank you for fighting for me. Thank you for helping me. I want to let everybody know that you are superior in my life. See, sacrifice doesn't make sense until you've had an experience. That's why if you're new to church today, it's like, dude, this is a lot. Yeah, it should be a lot. It's radical. What we're declaring here is that we think Christ is superior, that he is the supreme being, that we are inferior to him, and we're just blessed to give back to him. Christ's superiority, but Hebrews chapter seven, verse eight. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. I just want you to see this. So, so in the Old Testament, according to the law, the Levites would just take the tithes. These are mortal men, they all die. But in the other case, Melchizedek, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. If you study this in the Greek, what's happening here is that it's a present tense. Because what happens is that when I tithe, one of the results of my tithes is that it's proclaiming that Christ is alive in me. Christ is alive in me. Because they were giving to mortal men, but in the other case, Jesus, who's alive right now, I'm not giving to a church, certainly not giving to a pastor, I'm not giving to a preacher, I'm giving to Jesus. And when I give, I know this is wild, but Christ is seen alive in me right now through my tithing. I'm evangelizing that Jesus Christ is alive. And he receives it even right now. 
Hebrews chapter seven, verse nine, we're just continuing the text. One might even say, this is where it gets real good. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So just try to follow this. I know there's a lot of Bible history today. Abraham, father of our faith. He has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. That's where you get the people of Israel. Israel has 12 sons. One of those sons, his name is Levi. And it was instituted by God under the law that Levi would be the priest tribe, that they would receive the tithes of the people. But I want you to see something here. Abraham, Levi's in Abraham's loins. He's his great grandson. But as Abraham is tithing to Melchizedek, he's actually blessing his great grandson. Because when I tithe, Christ blesses my legacy. And some of y'all don't realize it, but you're setting your kids up and your kids' kids to live in generational blessing. If we had time, we could talk about it. There's Orthodox Jews that are tithing right now. I've got some friends that are not religious at all, but they are walking in the lineage and the legacy of blessing because of some moms and dads who put God's principle first. See, generosity plus gratitude equals abundance. And abundance, by definition, is having all that I need to fulfill what God has called me to fulfill. Now, I want to encourage our church as we're in the season of giving. You don't have to be rich to be generous. Quit lying to yourself. For seven years, I've been pretty sweet about it. But I want to challenge the next generation of young people in this house. You do not have to be rich to be generous. You have to be grateful. And as you respond to the miracle of what God's done in your life, your natural reasonable response is to say, I want to do something back. The reason why we tithe is because it's a system. It's like working out. It's a practice. Thank you, God, for yesterday. And now I have faith for tomorrow. I'm giving up something that I have right now, believing that you're the God who will meet my needs. John Rockefeller, who was one of the wealthiest people of our day. If he was alive right now, he'd probably be the wealthiest man on the earth. This is what he said. This is really good. John Rockefeller said it this way. I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. See, if you can't tithe on $10,000, you're not going to tithe on $100,000. And if you can't learn to tithe on $100,000, don't expect to tithe on a million dollars. If you can't tithe on a million dollars, you're never going to tithe on $10 million. And if you can't tithe on $10 million, some of y'all don't even have faith for $10 million. I got faith for $10 million for some of y'all. You'll never tithe on $20 million. It's because it starts right now. It's, it, it's based for all of us. It's a system and a practice. And here's where I'm blown away, and we'll, we'll close. Just notice, because this is where prosperity gospel creeps into churches. So let's stop now. Let's clarify. Wow, there's a lot of talk. Notice, Abraham didn't tithe for a blessing. He tithed from a blessing. Golly. Isn't that just like Jesus? He shows up. And he blesses a he brings out the Lord's Supper. You don't get the Lord's Supper because you give an offering. You don't get the blessing because you gave. No, it's recognizing, wow, I don't have to give to get blessed. I give because I am blessed. This is, this is how we see the garden, by the way. This is the creation account. God works for six days on the seventh day. What does he do? He, he rests. 
I hope the 6 p.m. service knows the Bible as good as the 10 a.m. does. We'll find out. Seventh day, he rests. But have you ever stopped to consider what did he create on the sixth day? What did he create on the sixth day? Man. So watch this. Man's first day, the seventh day, is what? It's a day of rest. Why? Because you don't work to rest. You rest to work. You don't give to get. You get to give. No one in this house should ever give out of manipulation, out of coercion. I just want to show you the practice of Abraham, the father of our faith. I want to show you what the New Testament writers say about this man named Melchizedek. And I want to unlock some things in some of your hearts because some of you are struggling with faith for the future. Some of you are struggling to step into all that God's called you to do. But you need to set up practice in your life. You need to tie your tithing into thankfulness. I'm not giving to get. Come on, baby. I get to give. The more God gives to me, the more I get to give. I'm blessed to be a blessing. He's already blessed me. I've already got heaven waiting for me. I'm not trying to get more. He's already given me enough. It's out of the overflow that I'm giving to God. I'm giving to God. Come on, somebody, give God some praise in this place. Give God some praise. I get to give. I get to give. I get to give. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com online. We love you.